1: you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Holiday schmoliday, OTB is like the MFing Postal Service. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays this podcaster from his appointed rounds. Only a Wi-Fi outage, or maybe one of my dogs getting a foxtail stuck up his snout. I don't know if any of you have experienced that, but it's pretty wild. My pit Ridgeback mix snorted a piece of grass up his nose with the spikelet or foxtail at the top that makes it impossible to sneeze back out. But oh, how he tried. You can imagine how much it tickled to have that thing up in there. The hard sneezes resulted in causing his nasal passages to bleed, which meant that every massive sneeze now resulted in a spray of, well, snot and blood. Because dogs don't believe in covering their noses or using a tissue. The, the room looked like a freaking crime scene. This is the difference between men and women, or maybe just me and my wife. She was losing her mind over the state of the dog and the state of our house. And I, meanwhile, was kind of fascinated by the entire show. His sneezes were just so impressive. A, don't worry, quick trip to the vet and we got that sucker out of there and all was well. But all of it made an impression on me. I have no idea why I shared that with you. Maybe because it is a holiday, but... One more item before I get to the topic of the day, which, by popular demand, is a look at all the moves that the Brooklyn Nets have made and where that puts them in the NBA's power structure, or at least in the Eastern Conference. For those who, like myself, were worried that the NBA legends would not be well or fairly represented in the selection of the league's top 75, there's actually reason to believe that they will. Now, that doesn't mean all of the 50 all-time greats picked in 1996 will make it in, but I don't see a slew of them being kicked aside for a slew of modern-day stars simply because their accomplishments have been preserved digitally or look more impressive statistically. The reason? Media members will compose a small part of the selection committee, I'm told, And they will be selected from the NBA's annual Kurt Gowdy Award winners. It's not a long list and includes such longtime veterans as Peter Vesey, Bob Ryan, Jackie McMullen, Sam Smith, Hubie Brown, Marv Albert, and Doug Collins. I don't know who among them are on the committee other than Vesey, who announced he was part of it on Twitter. Vesey also announced that he was eager to set right the oversights he felt he made evidently as part of the 50th selection committee, namely getting Dominique Wilkins, Bob McAdoo, and Tommy Heinsohn into the mix. Now, that doesn't mean he's intent on knocking a few of the 50 off to make room, but it opens the possibility. That's still a tough sell for me, withdrawing the honor from any of them, But if it's done for someone more deserving in their era, it's far better than losing out to someone in the modern era. With the rest of the panel being former coaches and players, at least it feels like a fair fight. Or as fair as it can get. Alright, on to the Nets, who, for those who haven't been paying attention, not only signed Paul Millsap and Patty Mills as free agents, but brought back LaMarcus Aldridge, who retired two weeks after joining the Nets in March with an irregular heartbeat. Apparently, he has received clearance to resume playing and has decided to return to Brooklyn. Nets GM Sean Marks also traded center DeAndre Jordan, signed originally as a gift to and package with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving two years ago. Jordan was clearly not in the Nets' plans last season already. Mark sent him to Detroit with four future second-round picks in exchange for center Jaleel Okafor and 20-year-old forward Siku Dumbaya. I will be surprised if both make the Nets' roster. Okafor gives them a far less expensive traditional big body than Jordan, although he doesn't have the mobility even of 33-year-old DeAndre, despite an uh, eight-year age difference. He is a physical presence and potentially could be useful in certain matchups, although the Nets have shown that they are almost exclusively interested in playing small and putting as many shooters on the floor as humanly possible. Okafor has attempted... 27 threes in his six-year career, making six of them. Nor is he a mid-range shooter, having taken nearly 80% of his career shots from within 10 feet of the basket. He's also not a particularly gifted shot blocker, averaging 0.8 for his career and swatting five of them last year for the Pistons in 27 appearances. In total, it's not the moves but the message and the mental makeup of the additions that has me feeling different about the Nets than I did a year ago when I saw and predicted that they would be a second round and out team. There are still legitimate questions to be answered about how well they will be able to defend, especially protecting the rim. And if they can maximize the talents of KD Kyrie and James Harden all at the same time, who's going to be their vocal leader? Who is going to demand better collective play when need be, as Giannis Antetokounmpo did last year for the Bucs for the first time? We still don't know. Jeff Green will be missed, both for his defensive versatility and ability to space the floor shooting threes. He also was a threat in certain matchups to put the ball on the floor and drive to the cup. Millsap is a 34% three-point shooter. Well, below Jeff Green's 41%. And that's playing with an outstanding passer in Nikola Jokic. Green elevated his shooting in the postseason for the Nets last year, where Millsap fell off for the Nuggets, and he's not driving by anybody these days. What I like about the additions of Millsap and Mills, though, is that they are steady, even keeled pros who are well versed at being role players. On good teams. Fans and media got all giddy that the Nets had players with a combined 41 all-star appearances on the roster last year after they added Blake Griffin and Aldridge. The problem is that all-stars are generally used to having the ball in their hands and plays run for them. Millsap is a four-time all-star in his own right but the last time he received that honor was five seasons ago and that was with the Atlanta Hawks. He was primarily a starter for the Nuggets the last four seasons, but clearly played a complementary role, playing off of Jokic and Jamal Murray. That's actually good preparation for what he's going to be asked to do with the Nets. Mills, meanwhile, is a career backup guard with a championship ring to his credit. He's played so many different roles for the San Antonio Spurs over the years that I have no concerns he will find a way to fit in and contribute to Brooklyn's cause. Can either of them defend at this stage? Drew Holiday big boy Mills when they met in the Olympics this summer, a key turning point in Team USA's win over Australia when they exacted revenge for an earlier exhibition loss in which Holiday did not play because he was still busy winning a title with the Bucks, But that's something for Nets coach Steve Nash to figure out and I imagine Steve Clifford as a consultant will be far more useful helping with that than offensive maestro Mike D'Antoni would have been.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I don't know how much competition the Nets had for Mills and Millsap services, but there's only one reason for them to go to Brooklyn at this stage of their careers and that is to win a ring. There's a value in having experienced veterans with that kind of single-minded focus in your locker room. They are both consummate pros who will stay ready no matter what kind of limited involvement they may have on a daily basis. Again, that's valuable too. It's what Dwight Howard and Jared Dudley and Avery Bradley brought to the Lakers two years ago. And yes, Bradley bailed on them when they went into the bubble, But he was a valuable contributor during the regular season the mindset of a champion is developed as much through a team's approach during the regular season as it is once they reach the first round it was one of the things that i did not like about the nets last season i'm expecting different this time around griffin will also have a full year to acclimate and find his groove he made all of 26 regular season appearances last season after sitting a considerable stretch for the Pistons waiting to be moved. That's not much of a runway to prepare for a completely different role than he'd ever played before. If he can stay healthy, and that's still a relatively big if, he should be even more effective than he was last year in the playoffs, and he was pretty damn good. I don't know what to expect from Aldrich, and neither do the Nets. His stats were solid in his... Five appearances last season, but none of those were with Harden, Kyrie, and KD. He played one game with KD and one game with Harden, if memory serves. The biggest challenge the Nets will face is in dealing with Antetokounmpo if he plays in the paint the way he did against the Suns. Neither DeAndre Ayton nor Jay Crowder could do anything to slow him down. And it's hard for me to imagine Blake Aldridge, or Millsap will have any more success. This is not the Antetokounmpo that Blake faced in the second round. This is a whole different animal. But how will the Bucks match up with Harden? If Chris Middleton gets that assignment, advantage Harden. The Nets are going to pose some questions the Bucs are going to have to figure out as well. Mike Budenholzer, who was on the brink of being ousted if the Bucs didn't advance past the Nets, has his contract extension. Now he's going to have to earn it. I generally like teams with something to prove. It was an important component for the Bucs last year, all those disappointing early exits previously. The Nets have that same mojo working for them now. Yes, they were projected by many to get to the finals last year already, but there's something infinitely more powerful in having carried that expectation and suffered the pain of falling short, regardless of the reason. Milwaukee understands how hard they have to play, what they have to focus on, and what kind of defense is required to be the last team standing. But will they hone all of that, or will... Having won a title take the pressure off, the need to prove everybody wrong. They have demonstrated a propensity in the past of downshifting, even along the way to winning last year's title. Now it's the Nets who have the hunger of a team fueled by what could have been. And that's a pretty powerful and tangible as well. I still consider it wrong favor the Nets over the Bucks at this stage. And there is an entire 82-game schedule to survive before we really find out who is on the floor for both teams when we get to the games that really matter. Milwaukee has a far deeper roster now than they had a year ago. Everybody dismisses that they were without Dante DiVincenzo for all but essentially two first-round games against the Heat. That left them painfully thin, particularly on the wings. And the new additions of Grayson Allen and Rodney Hood should help immensely in that department, at least as far as depth. Both of them have size, both are decent defenders, and both have shot better than 35% from three in a playoff series. I would expect the Bucks will get more out of them than they did Bryn Forbes or Jeff Teague. And I don't see the absence of P.J. Tucker as a significant loss. Yes, he was matched up with K.D. Yes, he harassed him. But get past the bluster. And the fact is, K.D. got whatever he wanted. And Tucker offered nothing at the offensive end. Bobby Portis ultimately played a bigger role in the Bucks completing their mission. And he's back. Tucker ate up minutes, which was useful with Milwaukee having such little depth. But that's not the case now. The beauty of all this is the Bucks are measurably better. But I expect the Nets will be too. I'll put aside for now who is going to come out on top between the two of them at the end of the year. But we as basketball fans are winners for sure and that it should be entertaining as hell to find out. Alright, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. A couple different directions we could go in the next episode. There's still the discussion of Kyrie versus Steph and who is the most talented or skilled. That's been of major debate in NBA circles. And yes, that's a sign that we are in the offseason and things are a bit slow. But still, it's worth taking a look at exactly how they match up and what their strengths and weaknesses are. There's also, of course, the finishing the last era of picking the 15 players, actually 14, since LeBron James has already won, from the last era of the last 75 seasons. We have to get to that too. We will, this week. I'm just not sure when. In the meantime...